Good evening. Let's generate our motivation. So, in this world, under the influence of afflictions and karma, to expect everything to go well, to be pleasing, for no suffering to exist. That's like trying to get oil out of sand, because we're under the control of afflictions and karma. If we understand this, and know that difficulties will arise because of our previous karma and because of the way our present mental state conceptualizes things. If we understand this, then we won't have fanciful ideas of perfection and so on but instead will strive to be free of samsara and to attain a state of mental purity whereby the causes of misery no longer exist in our mind and whereby we don't have a body made of flesh and blood that's under the control of afflictions and karma, and instead, as a bodhisattva, have a mental body that can manifest in various forms in order to be of great benefit to others. So instead of spending our time complaining about samsara, we would be better off stopping to create the causes for more of it and instead putting our time and energy into practicing virtue, being generous, keeping good ethical conduct, managing our anger and resentment, and of course developing meditation abilities and wisdom. And then remembering that all other beings are in the same boat as we are, rather than seeking our own liberation. We want to work for the liberation of all beings. And so although attaining full awakening takes a long time and it involves a mm, quite radical uh, change in ourselves, it's definitely something worthwhile doing for both ourselves and others. 
And so let's direct our energy in that way and have a happy mind practicing. So His Holiness always says that uh, when we're really practicing compassion, uh, we don't expect any kind of rewards from others. Or when we're practicing generosity, we don't expect anything in return. Because the action of generosity, the action of compassion itself, brings us pleasure. So we don't need thank yous, uh, gift certificates, um, you know, anything like this from others, because just our being able to give is the source of delight, no matter how they respond, because we cannot control their response anyway. Yeah. Whereas you can see when when our motivation is a bit polluted, we might want something in return, either some kind of offerings or how about some praise, you know, how about something ego-pleasing. And, uh, and so we give with that kind of motivation underneath it, and then when we don't get the reaction we want, we're unhappy. Okay, so that's very indicative of impure giving. Yeah, but what we want to do is train our minds so that the delight is in the action. And so the same thing comes when we're um, generating bodhicitta and trying to practice with a bodhisattva motivation that then uh, just the practice is in itself a reward, creating the causes for uh, gaining the realizations is itself a reward. So instead of uh, sitting there wanting, okay, you know, like I've been meditating for a while, uh, I, I want my realizations, you know, they promised, they even promised enlightenment in this life. Oh. Yeah. So I gave up on that a long time ago. Anyway, His Holiness said that was propaganda. But what about just some, some other kind of reward, realization, something fancy happening in my meditation? After all, yeah, shouldn't I be getting somewhere? I want some kind of experience to tell all my friends about. And and I'm doing it for a good reason, because then my friends will also become Buddhists. So you see, this is how I'm spreading the Dharma. Yeah? Yeah. 
but the realizations are just not coming. And then some somebody says, I don't know who this person is, yeah, that just creating the causes for the realization should bring us happiness. And that all the times we meditate and we don't have extraordinary experiences are involved in creating the causes to have them. And then they, that same person says, but, okay, you get some fancy, dancy experiences. Uh, does that help anybody else? Yeah? You go on a, a nationwide tour talking about how Tara, Medicine Buddha, Chenrezig all appeared in the space in front and bowed to you. Yeah? Because you're so great. Yeah? Does that make the world a better place? Or what drug were you on? <laughs> okay. So, to, to really think, you know, um, what are we seeking on the path? And, uh, you know, can we be joyful knowing that we found a good path that's going to work, even if it takes a few eons? Yeah, we found it. How many lifetimes have we wandered in samsara? with no connection to the Dharma. Okay. So to be very happy with our situation. I say, having gotten my PhD in complaining. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, if you ever need any complaints, come to me. My complaint factory works 25-8. <laughs> yeah, and I can dish out complaints of any sort. Okay, so we're on page 132. We've been talking about afflictions and karma and the, and the seeds and latencies of afflictions, and the seeds and latencies of karma. Okay, so now we're on a section called Having Ceased. Okay, so before we go through reading it, and before you ask 10 million questions that I can't answer, I want to tell you the story of asking His Holiness about this, you know, because we usually talk about the seeds of karma, you know, and you plant seeds of karma and then they bring the result. And then in a few books, he started to mention the having ceased of karma. Now, in Dan Cozart's book, The Unique Tenets of the Prasangika, he uses the term disintegratedness. Okay, 
I don't think that this term disintegratedness is so great. Okay. Now, I know having ceased is a totally incomprehensible word, and you will not find it in any English dictionary. Okay. But I think it's, uh, it's better than disintegratedness. Because when we talk about the having ceased, I'll explain it a little bit and then we'll read the explanation, okay? A having ceased is something has come into being gradually, arising, dependently, yeah, and it's changing in every moment, and it's also in the continuity of that specific thing, is also in the a process of ceasing, okay? Like you, you know, our class has arisen, but from the moment it's arisen, it's been in the state of ceasing, okay? So that birth implies death, arising implies ceasing, okay? So arising itself is an impermanent activity. It's changing every moment. And then when you say the arisen, when the act of arising has been completed, the arisen is also something that's impermanent. It's a product of all these moments of arising. And then the disintegrating is also, or the ceasing, that action is also impermanent, changing moment by moment. And then the having ceased when the the action, you know, that particular action has been completed and it has ceased, yeah, that actually is an impermanent thing. This is according to the Prasangikas. According to the lower schools, especially the Vibhasakas and Satantrikas, um, past phenomena like the having ceased are permanent. Yeah, they're they're unchanging. Something the past is something's become the past and it never has any effect. Whereas in the Prasangika, okay, the having ceased, the completion of an action of ceasing has an effect. Okay. Another way, a less literal way of um, of translating ha- having ceased is having happened. Okay? So if something has happened, yeah, and it's having happened, it's, it's ceasing has finished and it, and it's, or it's, ha- the, the, cesa- it, the ceasing of its happening has finished and the happening is over, okay, you have the having happened of that event. Now, the fact that an event has happened makes a difference than if it never happened. So that's why the having ceased or the having happened of something is capable of producing a result because of the event or the object or whatever it was, 
never arose, never happened, there would be no result. Okay. So, for example, um, yeah, our elementary school education uh, is a, you know, there's a having ceased left over from our elementary school education. But that having ceased is still bringing some results, isn't it? Because if we didn't have an elementary school uh, uh, you know, education, then we would have, you know, that whole thing that happened for all those six years plus kindergarten uh, would never have the effect that it's having on our lives right now. Yeah, is the fact you went to to K K through six six has an effect on your life, right? Okay, if you didn't do it, that effect wouldn't be there. Okay, so the having ceased, the having happened of that, the event itself is no longer happening, but the fact that it did happen and the ceasing of that that culminated in its having ceased has results, okay? So in the same way, when we talk about karma, especially actions with a motivated by a virtuous intention or a non-virtuous intention, yeah, the fact that the action was done has an effect, even though the action is no longer happening, okay? But it's 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 happening, and it's having happened, yeah, produces results, okay? So having happened, having ceased, okay? Okay, so far so good. Okay, so let's read what it says here. Yeah. Okay, I will, I will tell you one thing not to ask me. <laughs> well, actually, I never told you the story about asking this to His Holiness. Okay, so uh, it was some, maybe in 2011, I can't remember the year. Anyway, I had a series of interviews with His Holiness. So Sangdam Rinpoche was there. There were um, three other Geshis. Were you there then? No, so somebody, I can't remember who was with me. Um, but uh, the three other Geshis that His Holiness invited to come. And I can't remember if Nari Rinpoche's brother was there too. He might have been. But His Holiness, you know, when we had these... Um, the Q&A sessions, he would often ask other people. Okay, so I asked this question, kind of, you know, like, please explain, you know, a general question, please explain uh, having happened or having ceased. And, you know, what is their relationship to karmic seeds? Straightforward, short question, right? Well, His Holiness you know, what, like he did with many other questions I asked, started talking in Tibetan with the, the various Geshis and other people, you know, Sangha Rinpoche and all in the room. 
And this hot debate is going on. I mean, they are really talking, talking. And, you know, somebody says something and His Holiness interrupts, and then somebody else, and this and that. No, how can it be? And, you know, every, I don't know, block of time, how long it lasts. I, I get like about this much translation. Because um, what, what wound up happening is they were trying to work it out themselves. You know, there's no pat textbook answer that um, everybody kind of accepted and could just repeat as a textbook answer. It was something that was apparently very much discussed in the debate ground. So this went on, you know, all, I think we were meeting morning and part of the afternoon. So this went on and on and on. And then the session ended in the afternoon and it's only said, you can go in the outer room and continue if you want. So we went in the outer room, and, you know, I was sitting next to the sound room, and she says, explain this to me, you know. And I didn't get all the translations, so he starts going through, and I start writing it down, and it's like, you know, he'd, he'd get a few sentences, and I'd say, what? And then, you know, I don't understand this, and, you know, because... I, I don't know very much Tibetan. He knows English, but not so much Dharma debating kind of English. And then occasionally stopping and asking the other Geshe's, and then, you know, okay, there's a there's a having ceased of an action. Is there a having ceased of the having of the having ceased? And how often do you get a having ceased? Every moment is there a having ceased of that moment in the next moment? And then that next moment, yeah, uh, that next moment has a having ceased, but that next moment also is a having ceased, or it carries a having ceased. And so, you know, the the second moment of the, you know, how many having ceased do we have when somebody does something? You know, and how do the, all these having ceased ripen? Okay, so like my example with the corn last week, you know, you have all these having seeds. Do they all come together? And then, and then, or do you need a whole bunch of having ceased to produce a new series of moments? Or do you only have a whole action and then you get one having ceased of that action, which produces one, one result? Okay, so this discussion went on for quite a while. And in the end, just as when His Holiness was discussing with them, it always ends in laughter, okay? Like, you know, you debated this thing, you discussed it. You can't come up with the one right answer that we all crave, yeah? And so, but somehow you've been thinking about something worthwhile and you understand it better, uh, and you also have more questions about it that you, than you did when you started. Um, and that's something useful. That activity is something useful. So then the activity of discussing having ceased has ceased, yeah, and it has a having ceased. And is it ripening in part in our having this discussion now? I don't know. Anyway, okay, it's... Uh, that was a long way of saying this is a complicated topic. Okay?
But the discussing it is fun. <laughs> okay, so the book says, most Buddhist schools explain the process by which karma gives rise to its results in terms of karmic seeds. We've all heard that before, right? That's okay. And so karmic seeds are affirmative phenomena. They aren't negations or negatives of any sort. sort. They're positive, meaning they're affirmative phenomena, not a negation. Uh, and they have been placed on the mind stream. Okay. Remember, the mind stream does not have form. So you're not putting little seeds on your mind stream as it's flowing down. Okay. So uh, they do this because, so this is the most Buddhist schools. So explain, you know, how karma works through the seeds. So they do this because they considered the having ceased of an action to be a permanent phenomena and as such unable to produce a result. Because as we know, permanent phenomena cannot function to produce results. Prasangikas, however, assert that it is the having ceased of an action that connects the action to its results. Okay. So, so far, it sounds like you've replaced seeds with having ceased. Yeah, well, it sounds like that. Let me warn you, no. Yeah, you get seeds and you have having ceased from an action. Okay, besides their spelling, how are they different? Well, uh, a seed is an affirmative phenomena. A having ceased is an affirming negation. It's a past phenomena. Okay, so then the, the text continues. What is a having ceased? During the time an action exists, it disintegrates in each moment. All the, Buddha, all the Buddhist schools accept that the disintegration or ceasing of a thing is the function of the causes that gave rise to that thing. Okay, so because something has causes that produce it, when that and that causal energy is uh, changing and disintegrating, the result that that causal energy has caused is also in the process of disintegrating. Okay. So sometimes, you know, in our very gross way of thinking, we think things are, okay, they're non-existent here, and so they're arising, and the rising is, is impermanent, it's changing. And then they get to the part where they've come into existence, and then they're abiding, like they don't change during the abiding. And then at a certain point, we have the idea, now they start changing again to disintegrating. Okay, so they're impermanent, then they become permanent, then they become impermanent again. Yeah, that's how our ordinary mind often thinks. Is that true? Does that hold water? Why not? Is changing here. Is it changing when it's abiding? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Does something else aside from its being caused happen to uh, it net being being is necessary? Is something other than its having been caused necessary to cause its disintegrating? No. Just the fact that it had a cause. Okay. So all of our attempts to make something fixed and unchanging and eternal, are they going to bear the fruit we want? Mm -mm. Okay. That's what my mother would call knocking your head against the wall. (laughs) Okay. You're not going to get what you want. Because that's not the nature of the thing. So all the Buddha schools accept that the disintegration or, or ceasing of a thing is a function of the causes that gave rise to that thing. An action ceases or is ceasing, okay? And when its ceasing is complete, it has ceased. At that time, the action is no longer happening in the present. It is past. So, for example, we have the intention to speak and our voice continues for a while. During that time, the intention and our voice, okay, they're existing, but they're also ceasing every moment, okay? But when both the intention and our voice stop, they have ceased and are now past phenomena. Most Buddhist schools say that the having ceased that follows the disintegration of a thing is permanent, uncaused, and therefore unable to produce an effect. Like something ceased, basta finito, it's not going to have any effect, it no longer exists. That's what the lower schools say. Yeah, prasangika say, but the fact that it happened and the fact that it did cease has an effect. Okay, so Nagarjuna, however, says that just as the disintegration or disintegrating of an action, its act of ceasing is a function of causes and conditions, so too is its having ceased. The having ceased of an action is a state of destruction that remains the state of the actions having ended. So this having ceased has the potential to bring a result in the future. According to Prasangikas, a having ceased is an impermanent phenomena which regenerates in each moment until it produces its result in the future. But when a having ceased regenerates, it would be a new having ceased, wouldn't it? So is is that called the having ceased of the having ceased? Or do you just call it the second moment of the having ceased? 
Is it a new having ceased or it's a continuation of the old having ceased? In his commentary to Nagarjuna's 60 stanzas of reasoning, Chandrakirti explains why the having ceased of an action is a conditioned phenomena and a functioning thing. So just as the process of arising, okay, the arising, a production of a thing from its causes, is a conditioned phenomena, okay? So something coming into existence is a conditioned phenomena. In the same way, the arisen, which is the accomplished act of arising, is also a conditioned phenomena. So the arising gave, produced the arisen, the completion of that action. Therefore, since the disintegrating of a thing is a conditioned thing, the having ceased, which is the complete action of disintegration, should also be a conditioned phenomena. Hmm? Being a conditioned phenomena that arises due to an action, the having ceased of that karma, remember karma is action, is able to connect that action to its result, which will occur in the future. Okay? Because all the Buddhist schools have to explain how you can create the cause for something here and get the, the result in another lifetime. Okay? We're okay when we plant seeds. You plant a seed... Uh, this year, yeah, uh, maybe um, it, you have a drought so it doesn't grow, but it grows next year. Uh, that doesn't bother us. You know, we recognize the seed has the potential. It doesn't give rise now, but it has that potential that will carry on to the next season. Okay, or it might ripen this season. So similarly, actions finish they may not produce their karmic result for a while, yeah, but that potential that the having ceased has is there until, it, you know, the proper conditions come about and it can ripen or it can uh, produce its result. Okay. So both a karmic seed and a having ceased remain when an action is completed. Since the action is impermanent, it ceases and is followed by a having ceased. The action also itself gives rise to a seed, a karmic seed, which has the potency. Both the having ceased and the karmic seed contribute to the arising of the karmic result. Okay, so thus the potential of the physical karma or the physical action of prostrating is passed on in two ways, as a latency or seed that is left by the mental factor of intention that motivated that physical action, okay, and as a having ceased, 
of the perceptible form that is the physical action of prostrating. Remember when we were studying karma in, in volume two, we had perceptible and in, imperceptible forms? Yeah, and the perceptible ones was where you could tell somebody's intention or motivation, the imperceptible ones, you, you couldn't do that. You couldn't see in any way. Okay, so the physical action of prostrating is a perceptible one. Yeah, when it finishes, uh, you know, there's a having ceased of the perceptible uh, form of prostrating, which is the body moving, okay? And there is a latency or seed left by the mental factor of intention. So here it sounds like the mental factor of intention leaves the seed and the perceptible form of the action of prostrating gives rise to the having ceased. Okay. Now, we're not saying that's the meaning of the two things. It's just from this example, that's what it looks like. Okay. The second link of dependent origination, formative action, um, for the act, okay. Oh, the second link of dependent origination, formative action, for the action of prostrating, consists of both of these. So the first link of that action was ignorance. Second link is the formative action, which is uh, yes. And I just read here what that means. Okay, let's try this again. The last sentence I read said the second link of dependent origination, formative action, for the action of prostrating consists of both of these. Okay. Or, or the seed and and the having ceased. Yeah. So the... Or it says, it says, well, here it says the physical karma of prostrating is, which would be the action itself, is passed on in two ways. Okay, so what is left by that? Yeah. How is it passed on as a latency or seed that is left by the mental factor of intention that motivated that physical action? and as a having ceased of the perceptible form that is or was the physical action of prostrating. The second link of dependent origination, formative action, for the action of prostrating consists of both of these. So it sounds like it is both the action and the seed and the having ceased that are left when the action ceases. No, third link is consciousness. Yes, but you have to have the seed or whatever it is first, I guess. Or maybe this is not exactly worded as it is, okay? 
Yeah, Just, you find something? Well, on page 165, when it's explaining the second link, formative action, mm -hmm. it says, formative action is the intention, mm -hmm. mental karma, or the physical or verbal action that is newly formed by first link ignorance. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the... It's the action. action right. right, yeah. But what comes immediately when the action ends? Well, the next moment would be the having ceased. And the yeah, end. the having ceased and the seed. So I don't think we need to split hairs here. You, you don't consider... Okay, when you have a, f a formative action, okay, it's, see, you know, what do you want to say if, if you don't say it's a continuation of the action? If you don't, if you don't put that under formative action. For example, where do afflictions, the, the affliction that arises, you have ignorance, and then immediately you have formative actions. Where are the afflictions? They aren't mentioned as a separate link. Does that mean that they don't belong anywhere? That they don't happen in that sequence? No. Oh, but, oh, so it's link one and a half? Why don't they put it in? So it's, it's not mentioned, so it doesn't exist in, in, the, in the 12 links? Yeah, but you're you're saying you go from ignorance. You know, if you if you take the, the whole numeration literally, you go from ignorance directly to action, with nothing between them. Yeah, they're linked by affliction. Affliction isn't mentioned specifically, but it is implied in all of that, isn't it? can create virtuous karma and so there's no affliction there. Yeah, right. But, you know, we're, we're if we talk negative karma. Okay, so what we're saying here is not everything has to be stated explicitly in one of the links for it to exist. And so some things are kind of cuddled in with one link or the other even though the exact definition of that link may not uh, seem to include it. Okay, what I meant by splitting hairs is, does it really matter, like with affliction, it, if it's with the first link or the second link? Does it matter with the seed, you know, exactly where it is? I mean, to me, it seems it would go much, much better with formative action. Okay, let's leave it, because people have different ways of thinking, and some people like definite lines between things, and some people can live with fuzzy lines between things. Okay, so I think that's good enough. So you can think about it yourself. Yeah? Okay, so after an action has finished, its karmic seed is placed on the mental continuum. 
the having ceased of a karmic action is present with the mental consciousness. However, we don't say it was placed on the mental consciousness. Yeah, we usually say the seed is placed on the mental consciousness, but we don't say that the having ceased was placed on the mental consciousness. So there's some difference being made there. I cannot tell you exactly what the difference is, but there's some difference. Okay. <laughs> so here when it says after an action is finished, its karmic seed is placed on the mental continuum. Okay. So that that's about two and a half. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's not the second one, it's not the third one. Um, what happens to the karmic seeds and having ceased when an Arya is in meditative equipoise that directly realizes emptiness? This was another question that came up. At this time, her mental consciousness is unpolluted because, okay, it's an Arya's mind, they're directly perceiving emptiness, yeah, uh, when an Arya is having direct perception of emptiness, does anything else appear to that mind? No, nothing else, okay? So there's no appearance, there's no conceptual elaborations, no appearance of conventionalities, nothing, yeah? So that, so that mind is unpolluted. In other words, it's not... At that mind, when it's in meditative equipoise, it's not influenced by either ignorance or the latencies of ignorance. It's unpolluted. Yeah. And an unpolluted mind cannot be the carrier of polluted karmic seeds and having ceased. Okay. So Buddha's tenet systems have different explanations, but Chandrakirti's is the most coherent. He distinguishes between the temporary and long-term basis of seeds and latencies. The temporary basis is the mental consciousness. So when we do an action just in our daily life, yeah, the seed goes on the mental consciousness. The having uh, ceased uh, is together with the mental consciousness, not on it. Okay. Um, so the temporary basis is the mental consciousness. After the action has ceased, yeah, the action is placed on the mental consciousness. The continual or long-term basis yeah, is the mere I, the conventional self that exists by being merely designated. So this self is a mere convention. Okay? Actually, the mind is also a mere convention. But they don't mention that here. Okay, the self is a mere convention. It carries the karmic seeds and so forth when an Arya is in meditative equipoise directly realizing emptiness. So the, the mere I can carry the polluted elements, but the mental consciousness that is uh, involved in directly perceiving emptiness is completely pure. It has no polluted elements in it at all. So it kind of sounds like 
you know, when you go enter meditative equipoise, like all the seeds and so forth that were on the consciousness, they get transferred to, to the mere eye. But the mere eye is not a, a separate, unrelated phenomena to the mental consciousness. Okay, it's different than the mental consciousness, but it's not inherently different from it. It's not, it's the same entity of it, but it's different enough that it can carry these polluted seeds and latencies while the mental consciousness can. Okay, and this is because, you know, when you're talking about a, an unpolluted consciousness, like the mind directly perceiving the, its own nature, yeah, of emptiness, you can't say that there's something polluted, you know, together with that consciousness. Uh, so then you have to think of some way to explain it. Hmm? Okay, although the mere eye is not findable when searched for with ultimate analysis, seeking its ultimate mode of existence, it still exists nominally. It goes from life to life, carrying with it karmic seeds, as well as the seeds and latencies of afflictions. Just as the mere eye, which is the basis of the seeds and latencies, cannot be found by ultimate analysis, neither can the seeds, latencies, and having ceased. They, too, are empty of inherent existence, yet exist nominally and dependently. Okay? So reflection. What are the, first point, what are the karmic seeds and how do they function? So we think we got that down, fat, completely pat, until we start asking questions. Like, what in the world is a karmic seed? Yeah, what is it? It, 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 it's an abstract composite. What does that mean? Point, point to a karmic seed. Yeah, because remember, as, as abstract composites, you can only know them by knowing another object first. Okay? So you have to know the something before you know the karmic seed. Probably have to know the action that happened that produced the karmic seed. What are the seeds of afflictions and what are the latencies of afflictions and how do they differ? That's a good question for you now. We covered it last week. What's the answer? The seed of the affliction is the potential for the affliction to arise. Mm-hmm. I just lost it on the latencies. I mean, the latencies also leave the imprint that becomes the cognitive obscuration, but I think there's a piece missing in there. Yeah. No, the latencies are the cognitive obscuration. I, I don't think... No, no, okay. you don't lead a seed and then also a latency. But there's the latencies. Remember the, the thing of the, the onions? You've taken the onions out, but the smell is there. Yeah, so that's like the cognitive obscurations. Okay. Now, other types of latencies, as if we haven't had enough. It's not spelled out, so maybe it's a futile question, but I'm wondering, can you tease apart, if both are necessary for, what is it, a karmic ripening, um, 
can we tease apart what the what uh, we each karmic, one does? What, yeah, that was one of the questions that was involved in that big long discussion that we couldn't come to a conclusion about. Why in the world do you need two of them? You know, what does each one do that the other one can't? And why did the Prasangikas prefer the explanation of having ceased to, to the lower school's explanation of seeds, even though the Prasangikas also assert seeds? Yeah. My thought might be because it's, you know, one of the elements that differ them is the ha the having ceased it we can't exactly put our finger on it when we think of seeds we have little pieces of seeds there you know and when you have little pieces uh, or when you have abstract things or things that are not form that you visualize as being form it's much, it becomes much easier to grasp them as inherently existent yeah. And the lower schools definitely say that the seeds would be inherently existent. It seems like the seeds of karma are specific to um, causality of karma with um, mm -hmm. intention. Yeah. But it seems like other kinds of causes and effects, other kinds of causes could have a having ceased. Like the having ceased of a rainstorm is going to have a result. You can go out yeah. in the morning and it's wet. Yeah. So it seems like it would be a broader category. Having ceased would be a broader category because of things rather than seeds. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a thought. Yeah. But I guess here we're talking about the having ceased of actions. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's made it's when it says it's not placed on the mental continuum, mm -hmm. it makes it sound like yeah, it's some other system of cause and effect. Like maybe on the physical realm, they this example emphasized it's the result of a physical action. No, but the physical action has ceased, mm -hmm. and it's left something that is not physical. The okay, having so it's ceased a, is not a physical thing. It's an abstract composite. Yes. Mm -hmm. It well, yeah. It's it's a, an affirm a affirming negation. Yeah. So, but yeah, it would have to go under the category of abstract composites. Yeah, it seems to like broaden cause and effect beyond just the mind. Like karmic seeds and like, because why else would you need to invent this other category to yeah. explain results? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're done with questions. Well, what, no. Ask questions. Do not expect me to answer on this topic, okay? Yeah, you, then you. It's not a question. I was going to um, say that some years ago you gave a talk that mentioned having ceased, but you mentioned, um, like, imagine if Martin Luther King had not lived the life he did. Yeah. And that kind of made the pin drop for me, like, yeah, we there is a having ceased of everything Martin Luther King did. Yeah. That we live still. Um, mm -hmm. It's an ongoing process. And also, you're like, when did the civil rights movement end? <laughs> Can you find that? Right. So maybe this conception helps me understand even yeah. historical cause and effect a lot yeah. cl more clearly. Yeah. 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 I mean, the point is, with any of these things, you cannot pinpoint. I mean, when did something start to grow? 
When was the moment it, it completely ended? You cannot pinpoint these things. Yeah, conceptually we want to, and we may make definitions that seem to pinpoint them. But in actual life, you can't draw a line between it. Yeah. So it's like the, the border of a country, you know. Where is the one, like, exact line where one country ends and the next country starts? Yeah. Between which molecules, between which atoms? Yeah. So when, you know, I mean, this is precisely why countries and states and cities argue over whose jurisdiction something is. Yeah. But we want to know exactly that molecule here, that atom on that side. On page uh, 133, there's this statement, according to Prasangika's, a having ceased is an impermanent phenomena which regenerates in each moment until it produces its result in the future. Yeah. I'm curious about the word regenerates. What does that really mean? Well, that's why I said when I went through it, is it the same thing regenerating, or is it a, a, a uh, having ceased of a having ceased? What it basically means is there's some continuum. Okay. How it regenerates, how an abstract phenomena regenerates, Ask that abstract phenomenon. <laughs> well, it's got to disintegrate. Yeah. Okay. So now other types of latencies. So other types of latencies influence our experience as well. One type involves dreams, memories, and mental objects. So we've been talking a lot about how memory occurs. Yeah, which is an equally puzzling thing, how you describe that. Yeah. Okay, so one type, uh, yeah. For example, we see a person during the day, and the latency of seeing him is placed on our mind streams. Then at night, we dream about that person. Similarly, memory is influenced by latencies. We see a flower and later remember it. In this case, the visual consciousness has placed a latency on our mind stream. When we do meditation retreat, we may notice that our minds become quieter, that as our minds become quieter, memories of people and events we have not yet thought about in years surface. You notice that in retreat? Things you haven't thought about and who knows how long yeah, there they are. And you're going, how did that get in my mind? Yeah, because it seems to like come out of the blue, doesn't it? Yeah. And then to watch how the image or the, you know, the, whatever it is, the memory of that object comes and instantly the mind reacts to it. I like Oh, I remember I liked that person. No, I didn't like that person. Oh, it went from here to there. Oh, I have all these feelings. Sometimes I like them, sometimes I hate them. It was a complicated relationship, and now I'm glad they're not in my life, but it, at the time it was terrible leaving them, but actually it would be nice to find out what happened to them now, but they're not the same person. Yeah? Interesting, isn't it? 
how our mind works. Yeah, one little latency, you get one little image of something from the past, and the mind takes off, you know, with a namtok explosion. Yeah, a proliferation. And we get all totally wrapped up in it. And it seems so important, doesn't it? We haven't thought about it in who knows how long, and all of a sudden it is so important. Yeah. So I, I just remember when I did Vajrasattva retreat, I had only known the Dharma for a year, and I went into Vajrasattva retreat. And in the middle of it, I mean, I was a lot younger then, so I didn't have such a big pile of memories. But I had enough memories, you know. And one day it's like Mrs. Dukaman, my second grade teacher, didn't let me be in the class play. And how upset I was at that time that for no good reason, I was not allowed to be in the class play. You know, and it was interesting remembering, you know, how for that second grader, that was a really big thing. And how, as I'm remembering it, it would have been so easy for it to again become a very big thing. You know, because you think about your past, and that's my past, not your past, my past. And Mrs. Ducommon didn't let me be in the class play. And that was the totality of my memory of second grade. There, I'm sure, there, I mean, there were how many event, how many days in second grade? Yeah, a lot of days. What do I remember? That one incident. Incredible, isn't it? And then how easy it would be to sit and think, you know, because that incident is the prominent incident of second grade. You know, and I have one prominent incident, memory of first grade that is equally as ridiculous, you know? And then you construct your whole past out of these teeny little fragments of things that totally miss out on the everyday occurrences that we don't remember at all. Because they were everyday occurrences that blended into each other. Yeah. And then how, you know, it's so interesting how that happens. Okay. And then how that stuff surfaces in your meditation. I mean, I hadn't thought about second grade in a really long time. You know, it's not something I think about a lot. Do you think about second grade very much? Yeah? So, you know, then all of a sudden, in the middle of Vajrasattva retreat, this memory comes. Okay. Sense faculties also leave latencies on the mind stream that make it possible for new sense sources uh, to arise in future lives. So beings born in the formless realm do not have physical forms and thus lack sense faculties. However, after they die from that realm and are born again in the desire realm, 
the latencies of the sense faculties that have been on their mind streams become the substantial cause for their five sense faculties in the desire realm. Remember that was in Pramnavartika? Okay. Okay. So then the next section is latencies and ideas in other religions and philosophies. Okay. Or other religions and in psychology. So here you can all participate and give your... Uh, I'm going to ask you questions about it and see if you can answer. Okay. <laughs> like... How can you tell the difference between light when it's a, a it's a um, a wave or a uh, what is it a wave or a or a particle? Okay, and because you can look at it this way and it's a wave, you can look at it this way and it's a particle. Does it go from being one or the other? There are two different models appropriate in different situations. But I want on the one right answer. Well, what, what question are you asking of it? I'm asking, is it, a, a lot, is it a particle or is it a wave or does it go back and forth between being the two depending on how you look at it? I'm not going to give you an answer that you like. Okay. I thought you were going to give me the answer. If you treat it as a, a wave packet, if, if you use a third model, that will be able to answer most questions very effectively. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what's that? It's a wave packet. Yeah. So it's a packet. So mm -hmm. sometimes uh, a particle comes out of the packet and sometimes a light ray comes out of the packet? It's a superposition of many waves. And a superposition. It's, it's a sum of many waves, and that gives you particle-like behavior. So many waves can equal a particle. So many oranges can equal an apple. Many oranges can equal an apple? Well, it depends on what question you're asking. <laughs> See, if you want to, if you're asking the question of the light, what color are you? Well, that's a wave question. If you're asking the question, where are you? That's a particle question. Yeah, but it's, one thing should be able to answer both questions. Well, that's, and that's where a wave packet can have probabilities of being different colors oh, and probabilities of being different places. But I don't want prob probabilities. The quantum I mechanical, want the one right answer. The quantum mechanical world is a, a world of probability. Oh, prob no, probabilities is too big. You're just making that up because you don't know something. You know? Nature seems I to not know. know. <laughs> yeah. Which is it? Okay. I think somebody understands me now. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So, those of us exposed to ideas in non-Buddhist faiths and in modern psychology often ask if latencies are comparable with notions in these other disciplines. What follows are some general, 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 
thoughts, not conclusions, thoughts onto ideas, just ideas, you know, not anything physical. The two ideas, original sin and the unconscious. Okay. So let's talk about original sin first. Okay. Okay, so some newcomers to Buddhism ask if our discussion of afflictions and karma being carried from one life to the next resembles the doctrine of original sin taught in other faiths. What do you think? Nope. Well, I think they're they're kind of similar. You know, original sin is you did something bad before and you still have some something hang you have a hangover from it this lifetime. Somebody else did it, not you. You're taking it. But that that doesn't make any sense. Someone else does it, and then I and I and I get punished. But but if it's but you know if you go back to Adam and Eve, isn't that maybe the same mental continuum of who you are now? Maybe you were Adam and Eve back then. How do you know you weren't? Prove to me you weren't Adam and Eve. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? You were Adam and Eve, and just as you know, genealogically, you know your your tendency for alcoholism, your tendency for anger, whatever it is, there's something in your genes that gets passed down, and there's something, you know, in your your latencies of your mind that gets passed down, and it's one mental continuum. You decide whether you're Adam or Eve, or, and maybe you don't have to decide which one, you know, because maybe you got a little bit of mental continuum for both of them, but actually they blame Eve more, don't they? Yeah, but isn't it the snake's fault? <laughs> I mean, should, why is nobody? Why does nobody hold the snake responsible? He started it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People, why don't people pick on the snake? Was the snake a boy or a girl? <laughs> it was a boy snake. Yeah. He was. He was a. What's an archangel? The big cheese on the angel. <laughs> 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 wait a minute! Wait a minute! Yeah, in in there. Yeah. So there's this big cheese. Here's the myth: the one of the big cheeses was Archangel Lucifer considered to be the archangel of light. And somehow he must have gotten into a tizzy with God. And so he got cast out of the heavenly realm. He wanted to become like God. God, what a thought. Oh. So he got banished, and then he started doing all of this sub- sub- subversive stuff with the creations of God. Oh, why, why, didn't, why didn't God rehabilitate him instead of banish him? You never question God. You never challenge to be like God. You only get one shot. 
Yeah, no, but I'm just asking a question about why God did one thing and not another. You have to ask God. <laughs> That's what? <laughs> ask God. <laughs> Isn't it written somewhere? No? I'm sure there's 12 different versions of Lucifer's fall from God. Yeah. Oh, goodness. But he definitely got demoted. Yeah, and he he didn't appeal to the higher courts? No, and he just retaliated by causing all sorts. He's still causing havoc, right? Oh, that's not yes. very nice. What's the difference between Lucifer and Satan? Lucifer was supposedly the angel of light, and then when he did this confrontation to be like God, he was banished, and so he went into his crazy, afflicted state and lost... Became Satan. He lost all of his virtue. Oh, so he had a name life. change. After he had a name change, change and a lot of other things. Apparently, yeah, uh, like so a face, like attitude. <laughs> he had a serious attitude change. He grew a tail and horns, and oh, he turned red and whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the answer here was these teachings are very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Original sin is taught within a theistic framework. In brief, according to Augustine, so Augustine can speak for God? He's a saint. But he lived a long time after the creation. Yeah, but how did he know what happened so many centuries after God created the world? Okay, according to Augustine, God created the world and the first humans, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were disobedient, and subsequent generations of human beings inherited this sin through the act of procreation. So that's how it's passed on. It doesn't mention the apple here. That's because somebody Jewish wrote it. <laughs> A Jewish, a Jew, and a Buddhist wrote this. <laughs> so the story's a little bit, you know. Okay, um, so you inherit the the sin through the act of procreation. So it was an STD. <laughs> okay, so Jesus was born to overcome human beings' innate tendency for evil and sin, and to reconcile them with God. So innate tendency for evil and sin sounds like innate afflictions, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cessation of sin depends on the great sacrifice Jesus made. Hmm? Yeah, that's what I never understood. So he seized his own sin, but I thought he was part of God. He seized other people's sin. Oh, it's a mystery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. So having ceased and uh, uh, karmic latency and of you know are also a mystery. 
Okay, in contrast, Buddhism, in Buddhism, there is no notion of a creator or an initial act of disobedience. Ignorance, afflictions, and samsaric rebirth have existed beginninglessly, which is worse. (laughs) You know, you have this stuff beginninglessly, or you got it from Adam and Eve. No, we got it from the from the snake. Yeah, was uh, did, who? Hap- what happened first? Lucifer getting kicked out, or Adam and Eve? Yeah, what order did this stuff happen in? Come on, you yeah, all well, went to catechism. Should we make it up? What, <laughs> what do we think? Because they were supposed to be made in the image of God, so they were living in a blissful land, doing all the things that God cherished about them, and then that snake came along. and The tree of life, the apple tree of life. That's right. Yeah. But did Lucifer fall out of heaven yeah. before that? all that happened or mm-hmm. after? Before, because he was the snake. Oh, he was the snake. That's yeah. right. Okay. So he must have attained the path of seeing because he could manifest in no 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 not path of seeing but uh, uh, serenity you know or maybe the fourth Diana because he could then manifest different different forms okay okay so in Buddhism uh, yeah everything was beginningless and they continue in the mind stream of an individual and are not inherited by his or her biological offspring. The Buddha held that sentient beings' basic nature is neutral and pure. It is not inherently defiled, and sentient beings have the potential to become fully awakened and fully vaccinated. Afflictions and karmic seeds are adventitious and can be completely removed by the internal method of meditating with the wisdom realizing emptiness. Each of us must cultivate this wisdom ourselves. It is not something another being, however divine, can do for us. Okay. In theistic religion, sentient beings can approach God but not become God. The Buddha said that by following the correct path, sentient beings can thoroughly cleanse all seeds and latencies of afflictions and karma from their mind streams. Each of us has the potential to become a fully awakened Buddha. Okay, so you can see how people, when they come into Buddhism, they might be able to make that link with what they learned as a kid. You know, there's various things that you you can... See, and so that's why many people think of karma as a system of reward and punishment. Yeah, and some people even translate it that way, but it's not reward and punishment. Okay, the unconscious. Get ready, all you amateur psychologists. Yeah, you can now not only diagnose people, but you can you can have something to say here. spoken about by Sigmund Freud just before the turn of the 20th century. The unconsciousness is thought to be an area of the mind 
composed of feelings, ideas, animal-like instincts, fears, and hopes that are not allowed expression in conscious awareness. These things may manifest and express themselves in other ways, such as dreams, anxiety, psychosomatic illnesses, and phobias. Some unconscious material is inhibited or modified by the superego in the process of socialization, enabling us to live with others more harmoniously. So do most contemporary psychological theories talk about the unconscious in the same way? Yeah, I guess there's a some people that um, study Freud and... Um, think of the mind in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think nowadays maybe mostly psychiatrists are taught that, um, mm-hmm. but not so much the other. Um, I mean, you know, it's a form of, uh, it's a theoretical form that you apply to a person and they uh, get this kind of therapy once a week, pretty much for their life. <laughs> so it's, you know, not too practical. But, yeah. but the concept of the unconscious, you know, in, in other kind of cognitive therapy and... and no, no, you know, no, 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 not so no, much. Okay. Not, no, I wouldn't say so. So then when they go back, when in therapy people go back into their childhood, yeah, is and remember things from their childhood, is that said to be from the unconscious? Or how do they explain it? No, I think they would just say these are memories. I mean, okay. they would use more of a brain model where the memories are stored and oh, yeah. more that way. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, we have to remember Sigmund Freud, um, you know, he had an affinity for cocaine. So He did? <laughs> yeah. a, a big one. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, he used it for pain control because he had, what did he have? I think he had mouth or tongue cancer. Um, but even before that, he was using it some, so. He used cocaine yeah. for... For pain control? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, codeine is a derivative of oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not street cocaine. <laughs> okay. Crack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Carl Jung hypothesized the existence of a collective unconscious that consists of thoughts and feelings common to humanity, like kind of like one part of the brain that we all share. Kind of like that, it sounds like. This unconscious material is often expressed in myths, legends, fairy tales, archetypes, and religious stories that contain common themes. So that's true, and many cultures share these same kind of myths and so on. The collective unconscious is sometimes seen as a storehouse of ancient wisdom, passed on from generation to generation. Yeah, kind of like, yeah, a community foundation consciousness. Yeah, something like that. So the pre-conscious 
is the area of the mind having thoughts and feelings that are below uh, the level of immediate conscious awareness. But that, so, so conscious, uh, the unconscious isn't below the level of conscious awareness. Or it's, there's strata. Uh, you don't understand either. Okay. Um, <laughs> But it talks about feelings and uh, animal-like instincts, hopes, ideas. Those come in the conscious. It just stays there. Okay. Okay, then you have the pre-conscious which is, uh, is the area of the mind having thoughts and feelings that are below the level of immediate con- uh, conscious awareness. But that can come into conscious awareness through the focusing of attention. Do any of these psychological theories compare to the Buddhist notion of consciousness and the seeds and latencies on it? That's the question, Okay. So, and this question comes up so much, you know, the first course that is, you know, when people are brand new, especially in India, they come for a month-long course in their first class. These are the kind of questions that that come up. The Buddhist explanation of mind does not contain an exact equivalent to the Western notion of the unconscious. In an attempt to draw some possible parallels, we may speak of the Buddhist view of different levels of consciousness, coarse and subtle. Yeah, so there are different levels of consciousness, but those different levels don't compare with these, these kind of levels. Um, the Buddhist descriptions of underlying afflictions and latencies of afflictions may also have some uh, resemblance to the Jungian idea of the unconscious. However, none of these precisely match either the psychoanalytic meaning of the unconscious or the more common use of the word unconscious to mean the lack of conscious awareness, thought, or intention. According to the Buddha, all phenomena are potentially knowable by our minds. Okay, so according to the Buddha, you're not going to have any kind of unconscious material that is forever uh, forbidden to become manifest in the mind. Much of what psychology views as unconscious or pre-conscious material becomes fully conscious as our minds become clearer through meditation. As our mindfulness and introspective alertness increase, we see aspects of our minds such as preconceptions, fears, assumptions, feelings, and emotions that have been present but not previously perceived or acknowledged. Furthermore, advanced practitioners gain certain superpowers uh, through cultivating single-pointed concentration and can directly perceive previous lives and other events not consciously known before. In this sense, Buddhism might say that everything in our experience of this and previous lives is pre-conscious 
in that by focusing our intention and concentration in specific ways, it may be consciously known. So, some, some similar ideas, but a lot of very different ones. Okay. Um, questions, answers, yes. Um, are cessations permanent or are they impermanent since they are having ceased? Okay, cessations and having ceased are different. Okay, so like if you talk about the true cessation um, that is a result of the true path, in other words, the uh, total elimination of uh, certain degrees of afflictions, those true cessations are permanent, okay? They, uh, they don't change with time. A having ceased of an action is impermanent, though. So those two things are, are different. Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of affirming negation? Okay. An affirming negation is when, uh, in some kind of phrase or term, one thing has been affirmed and another thing negated. Okay, so in the case of a having ceased, what's been affirmed is that a certain action occurred, and what's being negated is that it no longer is occurring. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which realm does Mara belong to? Mara is... I think he may be a demigod. I think. I'm not sure. Do you remember? Anybody remember? Something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. A question about an earlier passage on... Um, I think it's back on page 132, um, talking about the seeds of karma and how the seeds of karma can only be eliminated. Oh, yeah, it's negative karma. So to, to, to purify or completely eliminate the negative karmic seeds, destructive karmic seeds, you have to realize emptiness. You have to yeah. have a direct realization of emptiness. Mm -hmm. But then earlier it talks about how our hearts still have karmic seeds mm -hmm. in their mind. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that they would have only the karmic seeds of virtuous actions? No. Um, just because you've realized emptiness, it doesn't mean all of the karmic seeds disappear. Okay? You have to meditate over and over and over. It's a gradual process. Just like chipping away at the afflictions happens gradually. Same with, with the karmic seeds. Yeah. So an arhat can have the seeds of karma, even of neg negative karma, on their mind streams, but they can't ripen because the clinging and craving are no longer there. But you know, to fully eliminate those and become a Buddha it would require more of the uh, meditation on emptiness, which is the purifying agent. 
Mm -hmm. Do all minds arise from seeds, including the mental factors and mind of white appearance? Um, well, all minds have a continuum, yeah? And they, you know, they would go in and out of seed form. The white, red, white, red, and black appearances, those are associated with um, physical occurrences in the subtle body. So, uh, do they arise out of latencies? Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Quite possible. Seems like they could. And then the cooperative conditions would be the, the um, what's going on in the subtle body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vajrasattva purification practice, it says negativities and obscurations. What does obscuration here refer to? It could be um, uh, probably afflictive obscurations, which would be the afflictions and their seeds and a certain group of seeds of karma. And then, you know, once you've eliminated those, then you start working on eliminating the uh, cognitive obscurations. So it probably depend on the level of the practitioner. So I want to go back to the having ceased. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm stuck on the example of elementary school learning. So I've tried to construct a slightly different example. Okay. So if I have broken a pot, the, there is the having ceased of having broken the pot. But like, the next day, when the shards of the broken pot are still there, when I think about the cause of that much later moment of the pot being broken, I would think that the prior moment, the continuum of the broken pieces is sufficient. Like when I'm thinking about it that way, I don't see why I need the having ceased of the action, that that part to still be part of the causality. Okay, I, we're, we're talking about with the pot, the pot is a physical form, okay. mm -hmm. you know? So, and we're talking about here the, the having ceased of actions. Mm. So you didn't break the pot, the pot broke. Mm. So it's the pot, it's the breaking of the pot isn't an action mm -hmm. unless I deliberately did it. So in the, the case you of know. the elementary school knowledge, was that more of an analogy than a specific example? Um, well, it's to me, you mm. know, what it means is the if I hadn't gone to elementary mm -hmm. school, my, my present state of being would be very different. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I went to elementary school, mm. yeah, it left some kind of you know, latency or a having ceased on the mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, it was just a, a, an example I made up trying to say that things we do don't, because people, what, what happens often is people think, I do an action, it stops, maybe there's a result in the next five minutes, but there's not going to be any karmic result in the next life. Mm. So people think like that. So when you explained having ceased and 
or, or you explain karmic seeds, it gives them the idea that the only results that come from something don't occur just in the next 10 minutes or even necessarily in that lifetime, but they can be carried over into the next life. So this whole thing, I mean, I just use that as some made-up example, but what we're talking about here is how, you know, virtue and non-virtue and the results of virtue and non-virtue can get carried over to, to next lives. Okay? Yeah. Now the question, does the pot have a having ceased? Yeah, maybe, but it wouldn't be a having ceased of karma. It would be a having ceased of the pot. Yeah. So you see, this is why that discussion went on all morning, all afternoon, in a subsequent session in the afternoon, and ended in laughter with all of us saying, I don't know. Okay? So you're asking me specific questions after I told you not to ask me <laughs> questions because I'm not going to know the answer. Okay? Okay?